This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 179 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest this week is Kim Grauer, Head of Research at Chainalysis, a blockchain intelligence platform provider. She shares her story of her rather whimsical initial interest in blockchain technology and how it quickly shifted to a serious academic and professional pursuit. We'll hear her views on cryptocurrency and the impact it's having on monetary policy around the world, its use by criminals, and how initial enthusiasm from investors for anything and everything blockchain-related led to a credibility gap that serious researchers are still working to overcome. Stay with us. I have been working at Chainalysis for, I just celebrated my three-year anniversary, which I was very excited about. I joined right in mid-2017, right before the uh, big cryptocurrency bubble. So it was really excited to kind of change into this industry and for the first few months be like, all right, I made the right decision here. (laughs) And then I came previously from an economics background working for the city of New York, the mayor's office in his economic development initiatives. So how do we, thinking about how we can fund certain um, industries and subsidize them or give them land contracts in order to help with economic development. We did a lot of cost-benefit analyses And one thing I focused on and started to kind of get people to pay attention to was blockchain. And I'm happy to say now there's actually an endorsed blockchain week uh, in New York. The consensus event is co-hosted by the organization I used to work for. And I got into cryptocurrency when I was studying in graduate school, studying economics. And I was forced to take a game theory course, which I actually... Now I appreciate, but at the time I didn't appreciate it. I had trouble understanding its usefulness. So I kind of had been following cryptocurrency and Bitcoin for a while and decided I was just going to do a paper on Bitcoin. It sounded kind of like a kooky thing to focus an entire year researching. (laughs) And I came out and I went down the rabbit hole, came out the other end being really fascinated by this and... Then I started to uh, just pay attention to things as they were, as the industry developed. And that's when I, then I went and I went and joined the New York City mayor's office and started to continue to think about cryptocurrency, met up with the co-founder and, you know, we talked and he told me they want to start doing research, economics research. Can you come on board? And so I left and I've been doing that for three years. And so what what is your day-to-day like these days? What sort of things uh, take up your time and attention? Right now, today, today, literally the past week has been starting to kick off our annual crypto crime report, which is a big project that we take on every year. I don't know if you've seen it or if you're familiar with it, but we hmm. try to look at the year in review, see what's going on with crime, and educate people to the best of our abilities because we're sitting from this point of view where we have access to some of the best data on what's happening in cryptocurrency 
to educate people on how criminals are changing, adapting, what's the biggest type of crime, who, where are the, there are the most victims, what type of money laundering infrastructure are we seeing. And when I'm not focusing on crypto crime, we just completed a really rigorous effort to start talking about geography of cryptocurrency. Where is the most kind of grassroots level adoption? And we spent a long time building out a methodology to pair with our data to speak more authoritatively about what is, you know, which countries are using cryptocurrency the most. And this was really born out of a desire to kind of answer what people are using cryptocurrency for. From our crime report, we have this high-level go-to number. About 1% of all transfers are associated with illicit activity. And we know we, we know what's going on there. But, you know, our CEO is asking us, okay, what about the other 99% of activity? So, you know, we're like, hmm, yeah, that's a really good point. So hmm. let's, let's branch out. And uh, aside from these two sprint reports, I do a lot of data requests for people who are just trying to learn about the industry, work with journalists, work on writing one-off blogs on criminal activity or things that people should be paying attention to in this space. If there's a big Twitter hack, we kind of go all hands on deck and follow the funds, publish up a blog. And so it's really just focusing on research, cryptocurrency space, and typically criminal activity, but more so general economic activity. You know, you mentioned your own uh, sort of, I guess, skeptical beginnings when it came to cryptocurrency as you were going through your own learning process. Can you can you sort of share that story with us of how you you went through that from starting out um, having a limited amount of knowledge and, and it sounds like some skepticism to uh, something that you really had a, a deep interest in? Well, when I first started to think about Bitcoin and I'm going to write this paper, it was genuinely kind of a kooky thing to talk about. My, I remember my roommate in graduate school kind of rolled her eyes when I said I was going to take on this project. My professor, my graduate school professor, wrote it off a little bit as just being this, I don't know exactly if we thought at that time that maybe it was just a bubble People are bored or just generally not taking it very seriously. And that's what I went into it with the intention of thinking about that. I had read an article about how it might take over as a global currency. I wanted to see if I could apply game theory to definitively answer from our perspective whether or not that's possible. And I went and started just educating myself on first the technical side of things. How does the blockchain work? How are transfers validated? Uh, and what is mining? How does mining work? And then once I had that kind of foundation, not that you need that foundation, but once I had it, I felt more comfortable being able to think about whether how sustainable this ecosystem is and what it would mean for it actually to become a meaningful asset. Now, I didn't answer whether or not I think what it would take to become a global currency reserve, but I, or to become kind of broadly accepted, broadly utilized in a way similar to gold. 
but I did start to take it really seriously. Start, I started to think after spending a long time educating myself and talking to people that there's some really legit technology behind this. And there's actually also, it's paired with a general interest by people. So I started to think that it has potential and whether or not it's going to get to that place what everyone talks about is not something even today I have a strong answer about, but it's something that is interesting to continue to follow. And especially when you're interested in following criminal activity, when you start to realize the the power that this has in following criminal activity, starting to be able to think about what does money laundering look like? Who are the biggest money launderers? This is all transparent. This is all registered uh, on the blockchain. You can answer some of these big questions that have been plaguing financial institutions for a long time. You know, I I remember that uh, as the enthusiasm for cryptocurrency um, and the blockchain really took off, you know, a couple years ago, um, that it, it almost suffered from being a punchline, you know, like because it seemed, you know, there were so many organizations who were just using the words cryptocurrency and blockchain um, to get funding for a company or to, you know, as part of a marketing or PR kind of thing. Uh, is is that is that still lingering? Is that a challenge for those of you who are doing serious work in the space that it kind of went through that period of over exuberance? I, I do still struggle with being taken with people understanding the industry, especially with, you know, family, older family and friends who who don't understand. I mean, those Thanksgiving conversations of like, what's what's the Bitcoin? You know, I just <laughs> just there is still a lot of education that needs to be done. I think of it like you don't explain what the technically is happening on the Internet every time you have to have a conversation on the internet about what the internet is right now. But, yeah. you know, we're kind of held to a higher burden at, at the moment. And I think it's because people are still proving use cases, but it is a punchline. And I'm excited. I'm hopeful that, that one day it won't be so the conversations won't be so much around people trying to be like, what is, I don't understand what it is. It seems like it's just a bubble and, just kind of writing it off and feeling like people know that it's people, people feel without much um, exposure to the space that they know exactly what's going to happen with it. And, but I definitely see that with a certain type of person who I'm talking to, but also other people are more fascinated by it. I mean, I don't see people at the dinner table asking about my friends working in finance uh, so so many questions so with such interest it's also kind of a fascinating topic and I think that a lot of people even if they have this stigma they still find themselves fascinated asking more questions I mean I'm definitely the one interrogated the most of, uh, <laughs> at the dinner table about what I'm doing in a way that you know my lawyer friends aren't asked about and so that interest I find to be kind of cool you know, it seems to me like there's this this contrast in that, you know, as you say, um, blockchain has, um, you know, this record, this immutable record, which is which is part of how it works. But at the same time, you know, the, the criminals and the bad guys are using it because it provides a certain amount of anonymity for them. As again, as you say, to do the money laundering, 
I mean, that to me, that's an interesting tension between those two things, you know, both of which are true. Yeah, yeah. We, I'm actually working on a presentation called The Paradox of Cryptocurrency that simultaneously tries to address how these, how both of these things can be true at once. And I think crucial to that is just understanding technically what we're doing. And just technically what we're doing is we're not de-anonymizing people's use of cryptocurrency. We, you can still go and download an Exodus wallet and it's not ever, it's not going to be associated with who you are. But what we're doing is taking advantage of this public record by associating addresses together in a way that can, that can identify when one service is controlling many addresses. And then we actually can see who those services are. And that is kind of similar to let's see how much money is going in and out of um, manufacturing in the fiat world. And let's see how much money is going in and out of, um, in this case, darknet marketplaces. And so it's not that we're de-anonymizing. It's that we're exploiting the, fa- the, the, the permanence of the public ledger and associating addresses together in order to try to see which services are the, are the biggest and what, t- what types of things do those services engage in. You can go to Coinbase.com and you can see what they're doing. It's not hidden or it's not a something they're trying to prevent people from knowing what, what they're doing. You go on, you make an account, you know you can send tr- transfers. So we're, we're just working together with all of this already public information. And in fact, that is the source of a lot of what we do is, is public information aggregating stuff that we know that there's a service that's come online. They're saying, hey, will you come and join? Will you come and start an account here at at our service? And just working with that public information to try and establish, you know, what our CEO calls the phone book of cryptocurrency. What are some of the things that um, excite you as you look forward to, you know, possibilities, things that that this technology might be applied to? Right now you have me in crime, kind of crime mentality. I've been doing some research uh, today, so I'll answer first about crime. But one of the things that was really striking for me when I first started to research criminal activity on the blockchain was when you think about how big of a problem money laundering is in the world, I mean, we are just, just look at what has gone on breaking news recently where we're, you know, with the FinCEN files where people have seen just how big of a problem this really is. With cryptocurrency, you can actually, we we found that there are off ramps where, where criminals tend to offload their money. So we know that there are these hot spots where people can actually send their money to, and they do send their money to, especially the really big criminal activity, the really big scams, the hacks, the KuCoin hacks, the the uh, plus token scams. These are all a small number of scammers who have a lot of money and they have to move that money through permanent blockchain to turn it into something that they want to use, probably fiat currency. And they have to do that. And a lot of places are, you know, have a rigorous KYC uh, uh, environment. So they tend to take those funds to certain hotspots maybe two or three years ago, it was a certain type of exchange, you know, and you have your BTCE, which is an exchange that was known for money laundering, you would criminals would just go to this exchange because they knew that they could 
send their funds through. That is always changing. And we are always trying to stay on top of where are, which services money launderers are using. And so in a way, it's kind of inspiring to think that if this becomes, you know, really broadly used, then we can actually start to, to ha- be more empowered to tackle some of these questions about how, where are those money launderers going to? They're going to OTC desks on X exchange. Okay, let's inform that exchange. Let's get law enforcement involved. So that's one of the most exciting things for me when it comes to criminal activity. And then when it comes to regular activity, you know, people using cryptocurrency day to day, what was really exciting from the geography report that we just put out, we found that the cryptocurrency right now is actually used across the entire world. There's only a few countries where we weren't able to to find activity within and to to run all of our numbers, pair it with the web traffic data, which is one of the key ways that we identified who's using what services. So, for example, OKCoin OK might have 98% China web traffic, so we're going to attribute 98% of that to China. But to see that it's actually like a, it's actually a global phenomenon, and that it's serving different use cases depending on which part of the world you you happen to be situated in, and depending on which country, the infrastructure of whatever country you're sitting in, to see that it's really actually kind of organically growing is is has been really exciting to see as well. What sort of insights do you have on? the robustness of of cryptocurrency and the blockchain in particular what i'm thinking of is you know obviously there's there's the technical side of it but it strikes me as very interesting that we've really seen for the most part you know governments have been hands off when it comes to this they've sort of taken a wait and see attitude um but that could change at any time yeah it's it's kind of disjointed and different the approaches people different countries take are having real real impact on the businesses we talked to businesses in Latin America who when there was the banking ban where you can't have a they're not going to bank any businesses cryptocurrency businesses we, you know we talked to people who they they had to shut down their shop and that kind of put everything on hold and it's, of course, really impactful. And these, I don't know if people realize just how impactful regulations can be. And I know it might seem obvious to say, seem obvious to say, but, you know, these real-time decisions that regulators are making have a strong impact on the services that are actually trying to, trying to grow. So I think that things are unfolding. There are some, certainly some leaders in the space, people who are starting to say, yes, we need to grapple with this. And that was one of the reasons why we put out the geography research so that we can go to countries who say, we don't have any cryptocurrency activity and say, no, you do. And you have to deal with this. And you have to think, you have to realize that there's user demand and people are starting to use cryptocurrency. So you have to think about how you're going to regulate this. And you can look to these other countries that are doing it in this way. And we there are actually even businesses popping up to try and consult with people, to with, with companies and with, um, not companies, with governments to try and show them, let's, let's align with our neighbors on regulations. Let's, let's do this together and let's look to the future. Let's be forward thinking here. 
but it's definitely not at that place now. There's a lot of disjointedness uh, around in different countries, and it's uh, something that kind of changes day to day. Every day you go into the news, into the crypto world of news, and you see a new article about a government, you know, India talking about maybe banning cryptocurrency today, maybe not. So things change really fast, and hopefully it's kind of directionally towards heading to the right place, but it's um, definitely still extremely disjointed. Yeah, what's your advice for those people who are uh, charged with the defense of their own organizations for protecting you know, the cybersecurity uh, of organizations around the world? Any tips for how they should best keep themselves informed for the things about cryptocurrency and the blockchain that may affect them? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is going to be related to ransomware. Definitely ransomware is something that as we're writing this crime report, as we're doing research for this crime report, I'm thinking that ransomware is going to be the the biggest issue that we're going to talk about uh, in, in this report. The biggest source of not only financial problems for companies, but also the potential to sow political unrest. And I look at ransomware data all the time. And it's hard because people, it's a chronically underreported problem. People get hit by a large ransomware and they don't, they pay, they either pay or they don't pay the ransomware. Maybe they'll hire a business to do this. Uh, They often don't then figure out a way to submit that address to an authority so that people can actually be following those funds. We need to be better accumulating this ransomware data because the better, the more data we have on who these ransomware addresses are, the more likely we are to be able to either A, recoup your funds, but B, also, there's not that many ransomware experts in the world. If we can actually investigate these cyber criminals, that's really, really powerful. That's a really powerful tool because on top of that, it's not just a cyber criminal just does ransomware. They're also probably doing other exploits, maybe hacking, most likely extortion attempts. There's there's this kind of seedy underbelly of cyber criminal activity that we have the tools to start to dismantle if we just have more data. And so I would just really encourage if people are hit by a ransomware attack to be proactive and to let us know what that address is. In terms of fighting and preventing ransomware attacks, I'm actually not a cybersecurity individual. So I'm, I don't have, you know, the go-to, here's the checklist of things you need to do to protect yourself. But if you are listening, I mean, definitely educate yourself on how to protect your computer because people are going to ask for Bitcoin, lock up and potentially lock up your ransomware. And also for people who don't know, ransomware is pretty much exclusively, uh, they pretty much exclusively are asking for cryptocurrency payments. And so once you get uh, an address that, or you send money to a cryptocurrency payment, you can just give us that address and then we can track those funds. Our thanks to Kim Grauer from Chainalysis for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Futures Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. 
We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.